Welcome to Israel from the Inside, where we try to break out of the echo chamber, surfacing the wide array of often conflicting viewpoints that make up the mosaic of Israeli life. I'm Daniel Gordas of Shalem College in Jerusalem. Go to danielgordas.substack.com where you can subscribe to these podcasts and join our community of listeners and readers, access the archive of all these episodes, and post comments, interacting with others who share your interest in Zionism, Israel, and the future of the Jewish state. I have the pleasure and privilege of sitting today with Doug Altabef, like me, a fellow Ole, uh, I think a fellow Columbia College graduate. Yes, if class I'm not of mistaken. 72, this is my 50th Oh, so you're a little bit ahead of me, but not as much ahead of me as one might think. And um, made Aliyah to Rosh Pina, also lives part-time in Jerusalem. And we're going to be speaking with Doug about an organization of which he is the chairman of the board called Im Tirtzu, which in English is... Im Tirtzu comes from Theodore Herzl's famous adage, Im Tirtzu... If you will it, it is no dream. If you will it. Yeah. So... um, What do you call the organization in English? Imti. So we're going to talk about the organization in just a second, but before we dive in, because uh, it does fascinating work and it's often in the news and people have lots of different views of it, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, how you ended up in Israel and how you ended up at the chairmanship of Inter Tzu. Well, I, I'm a native New Yorker, spent my whole life in New York, uh, other than three, four years in the Boston, Cambridge area for school. Uh, and uh, my wife and I, we, we have a second marriage. We've been, next week will be 24 years. And we grew more Jewish together. We b- grew more Zionistic together. And we came, started coming to Israel her first time in the middle of the Intifada. We were taken to this sleepy little town called Rosh Pina up north. She fell in love with it. We kept going back. One year we saw a house for sale. We bought it on the spot. We don't know why, or we didn't know why, but it, it turned out to be where we planted our flag. And now we're here. And what happened is I was working in New York for five years. I co-owned a money management firm and uh, retired in 2014. And right when I retired, I was asked to join the board of Imtir Tzu. How did they know about you? I'd been a donor. I had been a uh, strategic advisor. Uh, and I met them in soon after they were founded in 07, uh, just serendipitously. And, uh, and so I, I was able to very seamlessly transition from the business world to the Amuta world to the charity world, NGO world. I'm on two other, three other boards, but Imtirtsu is where I give the lion's share of my attention and, and, and uh, time. Uh, the the organization itself... Well, before we get into the organization, yeah. I'm going to ask you a question or two about Israel before we jump into the organization. I have to say, I'm listening yes. to you with some trepidation. Yes. Because my wife actually does listen to these podcasts yes. after they come out. Uh, and she has been nudging me for a long time. We should buy something in, in Rosh Pina. Right. So now I'm going yeah. to hear no end of it. You know, right. if he well, bought a place in Rosh Pina... Right. Well, we're... we're as you know, most New Yorkers, many New Yorkers, have a place outside of the city somewhere. So we just did it in reverse. 
We started in the country, and then we came to the city. Right, the city being but Jerusalem. The city being My Jerusalem. We live in the same neighborhood, a wonderful neighborhood in, in Jerusalem. And, uh, you know, we're very fortunate to have the best of both worlds. The beautiful nature of uh, the Upper Galil and the incredible attractions of Jerusalem. This is an amazing country. It is, and there's a whole history we can talk about about Rosh Pina some other time. I mean, yes, Rosh Pina is unbelievably much, rich in history, but we'll do that yes. some other time. So I want to talk about Im Tirzu as an organization, mm -hmm. but the way I want to cut into it is to first have you tell us through the eye, through the lenses of your glasses, as you Im Tirzu look at the country, you've identified several things that are troublesome, troubling, right. problematic, <clears throat> challenging, which Im Tirzu decided to try to address. Right. What are the things, the phenomena in Israeli society writ large okay. that Im Tirzu is trying to address? Okay, I'm going to, I'm going to uh, answer that the long way home. Uh, and Im Tirzu was started in 2007 in the wake of the Second Lebanon War. Which was 2006. Six, that's right. Uh, when uh, soldiers who were returning to their university classrooms, specifically at the Hebrew University, were told that the army that they had just fought in had committed war crimes and crimes against humanity, and that the country that they were defending was a colonialist occupying power. Now, this was being told by selective professors on campus. That, Do you have any sense how widespread a phenomenon that is well, at a place it, like Hebrew University? We'll talk about that uh, in terms of what we're doing later because we, it's, it's actually a, a much wider phenomenon than you might think. Well, uh, and, and is it at all the universities? It's not at Ariel for sure. Well, you know, there was at Ariel really? someone who was just uh, almost basically deported from the country because he was so wildly, you can't make this stuff up. But but he was wildly anti anti Ariel, you uh -huh. know, anti Israel, anti over the green line, and but hate. I mean, there's one this thing was an Israeli to be person. yeah Israeli. There's one thing to be politically opposed. There's another thing to just hate Israel in your gut. So this is a widespread phenomenon in Israeli universities. Well, we have twenty campuses, twenty branches. So uh, the branches. You know, obviously meet an audience. They find a, a willing audience. And I would say we are, you know, we are classic bottom-up organization. No one said, I want to start you. This was all self-generated. And um, we have a dual mission. This goes to your question. The dual mission comes from Tanakh. Sormera and Osetov. So distance yourself from evil. Sormera, Osetov, do good. The Sumera part is to basically combat uh, delegitimacy of Israel, anti-Zionism in Israel. In Israel, all all of our activities are here. So you're combating in delegitimization in, in Israel. Israel, right? And and the do and the Osetov is education, is uh, elevation of Zionist values, is uh, making sure that our uh, citizens understand uh, implicitly how wonderful a place this is. You know. Really. All right, so there's an irony here, right? I mean, you're. I, <laughs> I take you at face value, obviously. I know what you do, but you know, people should be scratching their heads and saying, "Wow, a, a, a 
an organization to promote Zionism Absolutely. in the Jewish state. Crazy, right? Right. So I the went... first problem is the campuses. That's one right. locus of issue. Right. I'm sure we'll hear more about that in a little bit, which I look forward to. Right. What are other phenomena in Israel across the board that you as an organization are saying that's an area we have to address? All right. Well, uh, just staying with the campuses for a minute, it, it was... It was, and I'll tell you, it was my experience too. When I first heard about this, I said, isn't this like telling someone that they should love their grandmother? I mean, isn't this... Right, calls to Newcastle, as they say. Right, calls to Newcastle. And the answer is no. And um, one of the things that we have done on campuses, and this goes back now three or four years, is we've assembled a course guide. It's called Know Your Professor. And when I was at Columbia, they were just starting to do course guides. He's boring as hell. This one is, you know, will never give you a grade over a C plus. Whatever it was, it's all caveat emptor. And this is caveat emptor about professors who you can reasonably expect to be sitting in their class and to be harangued with a narrative that is similar to the one that I mentioned that was formative in getting us started. Israel is illegitimate. Israel is doing unspeakable things. And it's not to say, you know, the guy should be fired. There's academic freedom. But it's caveat emptor. Buyer beware. So that... Now, is it, is it really just buyer beware? Or are you hoping as an organization to try to get these faculty people not to talk that way? Well, in, in a perfect world, you'd like to shine a light. And, and, and so that people would say, you know, uh, I don't, you know, I, I really, really don't want to be part of this. I told this to a friend of mine who was at Tel Chai. Tel Chai is a college all the way up north, close to the Lebanon border. And she started to cry. She said, you know, I had a professor who was so browbeating of us about the narrative. And if you didn't subscribe to the narrative, you flunked the course. This was at Tel Chai? Yes, at Tel Chai. She wow. said, I only wish there was an Im Tirtzu chapter there is a place to go, you know, an address where I could have talked about what happened to myself. Right. So people who are listening ought to at least be aware of the profound, painful irony of this at Tel Chai, because Tel Chai is the place where Yosef yes. Trumpeldor died, right. according to Zionist legend, at least saying, Tov lamut right. it's good to die for our land. It was right. our country. It wasn't a country. Engdavar. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so in any event, there's something... Uh, you know, and I'm, I'm part of the reason I'm sounding surprised is because I know a little bit that this exists, but I don't actually experience it. Because here at Shalane, where we happen right. to be sitting, there is exactly zero point zero of that. There's nothing. Yeah. No, no, you're 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 in you're in in many respects a an academic bubble. Here. And I don't say that. No, we chose but, to create the bubble, yes, and we right. live in a bubble, and we have students left and right and up and down and and religious and secular. Right. But there's no trashing of the right. state here at That's all. Right. And by the way, I'm sure you're aware. I just want to point out to people that um, the phenomenon that you're talking about, which is the anti-Zionist core of certain parts of the Israeli faculty, um, was a phenomenon already pointed to probably almost 20 years ago, maybe a little bit more, by Oram Chazoni in his book called The Jewish State, yeah. where he actually traced the founding of yeah. the Hebrew University faculty. Judah Magnus, the president of Hebrew University, was a profound anti-Zionist. Right. He leaves Israel and becomes the rabbi at Temple Emmanuel on Fifth Avenue. Right, and there was also <laughs> a lot of people who were involved in Breach Shalom. Right. Yes. So it wasn't only right. Magnus. It was, right. So it came but, from yes. a certain core, and um, that some has Germans been a, among That them. has been a strain here. That's been a, you know. Uh, so it's not from nowhere. 
Uh, but but in so terms what happens at Hebrew University? I'm a student that so it's coffee at Emtor. You're going to give yes. me a list of professors that I know if I take this course, I'm likely to hear this narrative, and if okay. I push back, there may be impact, I guess, on the, certainly my comfort level and maybe my grade. I don't know. Um, what else is Intertsu doing on campuses to help students address this? All right. This? Well, so so we we will do uh, rallies. We will we had until COVID what the Jerusalem Post calls the largest extracurricular academic initiative in Israel, which was the Seminars for Zionist Thought. So at Hebrew University, at about five of the leading campuses, we would have every other week a free lecture by what I would call an A-list speaker from academia or media, government, culture, whatever, talking about issues pertaining to our society, uh, Zionist history, and, and it was uh, very popular. How many people would come? Uh, typically 200. That's to a good. Lecture. Yeah. That's a lot on Israeli campus yeah, like that. That would be, was a nice turnout. Now, of course, COVID ended that. Of course. But we, uh, we took uh, some spare change and made a little studio in our offices, which define modest, by the way. Um, and now we do the Zionist salon. So we're now able to reach hundreds of thousands of people. So it's like a little bit of lemonade from lemons. All right, so you're giving people information about the professors so they kind of no, know what yeah, they're getting we're, into. We're giving a lot of different information. But let's go back to what you were asking about some of the things we've identified. Um, one of the thing areas that we're very strong in is trying to support our soldiers. Now, as you know, because you have, and I must tell you personally, I always thought your best columns that I read in the Post were when you talked about your kids in the Army. Okay, so I did my best work 20 years ago. Thank you very much. Okay, great. <laughs> okay, but the, no, but they resonate. You know, we have a citizen's army, so we have a reciprocal deal with our soldiers. They protect us, and in our way, we seek to protect them. So we protect them in two ways. One was we created a wonderful initiative that I call Filming the Filmers. Um, if you go to sensitive checkpoints or guard posts in Judea, Samaria, Hebron, you will often see European visitors, and they're usually from Europe, some are Israelis, standing literally two inches away from a soldier with a, a camera. A, a, a hand, Is this a like Mahzone Watch, those kinds of organizations? Yes, that's right. Or EAPPI, which is a Danish group. Uh, and there's one that's something mothers, right? Um, something mothers at the checkpoints, yeah, so yes. something like that. Okay. And what they do is they hold a smartphone up to the soldier right in his face, and they start screaming at him. How can you do this? You must be ashamed of yourself. This is an embarrassment. You are disgusting. And so what we started, to, and what they're really hoping to get is a reaction. You know, the soldier is supposed to be like the beef eater in front of Buckingham Palace and just stand there. But what they're hoping they'll do is they'll react so they can upload the reaction and then, you know, prove their point. So what we started to do was send what I call our video commandos to the same place. And we hold a phone up to the people holding the phones up to the soldiers. And we're saying, why are you here? This is disgusting. Go home. Why are you harassing our soldiers? Things like that. And it's very effective. And what is it? And what it really does is gains the appreciation of the soldier because who the hell wants to be you know and where are these where are these videos uploaded for people to see them where are ours uploaded yeah. well we have the largest facebook 
page of any NGO in Israel. We have a quarter of a million followers in Hebrew and 110,000 in, in English. So people so go it's on every, the it's Facebook page, up, they can see it. Upload it to Facebook or it's on our website or it's on YouTube, a lot of us. So you're filming the filmers. Right. And what else are you doing for the soldiers? And we're, and we're hugging them all the time. We're going to these checkpoints and we're, we're stooping them with you know, treats and soda and pizzas and things like that with the idea that our citizens should do the same thing. Regular people can, can show up and do the same thing. And we don't have a monopoly, obviously, on doing this kind of thing. So we did another thing for soldiers that many Israelis find hard to believe. Um, and it's what I would call walking the Zionist walk besides talking the talk. Um, a few years ago, two soldiers independently came into our offices and said, you're not going to believe this, but I was denied service in a restaurant because I showed up in a uniform. And we said, you're right, we don't believe it. So we went back to the, with them in uniform uh, to the two restaurants. One was an Arab restaurant in Haifa, one was a Jewish restaurant in Tel Aviv. Sure enough, the same thing happened. So we went to some friends in the Knesset, told them what happened. And a few weeks later, legislation was overwhelmingly passed that said you cannot deny service in a public accommodation to a soldier in uniform. Okay, so is that earth shattering? No, but it is. It makes a difference. It's, it's walking the walk. You know, it's saying if you believe in a Zionist society, if you believe that your soldiers are doing important work, then you should be there to, to protect them. Uh, another thing that we did, and you talked about this with Beinart, is this issue of foreign funding, uh, of uh, foreign governmental funding, of uh, what I would call anti-Zionist Israeli NGOs, particularly organizations like Breaking the Silence, B'Tselem, uh, Maksom Watch, Adala. So you want to, there's, there's four that you mentioned there, Breaking yes. the Silence, B'Tselem, Maksom Watch, and Adala. So Adala's an Arab one. Right. Um, but right. has been very for a very long time actually opposed to Israel being a Jewish state. Correct. Uh, Machsom Watch are these people that go, to what you were just talking yes. about before, the people right. that go to the Correct. checkpoints and film. Right. Um, what you mentioned, Breaking That's, the Silence, yeah. which has been, um, I also, as you probably know, have a, an issue with Breaking the Silence. Well, Breaking to put it mildly. the Silence has a veracity issue. They, they, right, exactly. They, there's they allow, a lot of testimony make, explain what that they can never first. be verified. Correct. And it was what it is. It's soldiers who ostensibly um, saw things or did things in their right. service that they thought were immoral are asked to tell their stories and the stories are uploaded. Um, unfortunately, or fortunately, I don't know which one, I actually know people who just made stuff up to test out the system, right. uploaded it, and there was no there was no fact-checking, right. whatever. Right. So it's a comp that's also a controversial organization. Right. And then you mentioned... And B'Tselem. And which is a kind of a human rights organization. Right. Um, so just I just want our listeners to know what they are. Good. Okay, so now, so where now, is the funding for these organizations right. coming from? So the funding comes from the EU or NGOs tied to the EU or the government of Scotland, the government of Germany. And, and why are what they doing What percentage of their funding comes from, let's say, European sources, governmental or otherwise? X, the New Israel Fund, and or X, George Soros, probably 100%. Very, very close to all of it is coming from foreign governments and or NGOs associated with foreign governments. Now, look, the real damage that's done by a Breaking the Silence or a Betselem is when they show up at the European Parliament right. 
to, 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 to quote unquote testify about war crimes being committed by Israel. Now imagine yourself, you are a delegate from Latvia, pick a place, that doesn't necessarily know Israel all that well. You're hearing someone coming all the way from Israel to talk about how unspeakable Israel is. The natural reaction is, I better pay attention because this guy is really upset and he must be speaking some kind of a truth or else why the hell would he be coming here? Well, he's coming there because his, you know, his plane ticket is paid for, his budget is paid for. And the very, very uh, cynical thing is this is what I would call backdoor foreign policy. Uh, the Europeans, you know, know that if they go sit down with the Israelis, their counterparts, they're not going to get very far about, you know, you really should divide Jerusalem. Um, for example, but if they so so it's easier to sort of espouse those same positions through Israeli organizations that have the credibility of being Israeli. Now, at one time in this country, these organizations were thought of as quote unquote human rights organizations. But when we really went uh, made it very, very clear that they were getting this kind of funding, from European governments, there was a real profound shift in the public's mindset about what these organizations were really about. And so I think... Which that, is not human rights, but sort of anti-Zionist? Yeah, anti-Zionist is like being foreign agents. It's like, you know, I, I'm, I'm a So what's your government. organization's role here? You can't block the money from coming in, or can no, you? No, no. Ah, so we were involved uh, with what became known as the transparency law. There is now, and it's a much weaker law than say the Foreign Agent Act in the United States, but there is a law that says you have to disclose, if you get more than 50% of your funding from a foreign government, you have to tell the people, and you're lobbying in the Knesset, you have to tell the people in the Knesset, you know, I'm with whatever, breaking the silence, and we get, you know, most of our money from uh, foreign governments. So that is something that uh, is on the books. Now, it's being evaded somewhat because the foreign governments have basically set up Israeli straw companies to disperse the money to other Israeli NGOs. So now they, so now they don't get 51%. They yeah, get, so we're get getting nothing from, from... Directly uh, from the foreign government. <laughs> right. Okay, so um, we've got the college campuses. Right. We've got taking care of okay. soldiers. So we have organizations that are being funded by European right. countries who have obviously a vested interest right. and agenda. Right. So let's talk about something that is not campus related. It is societally related. And uh, I mentioned to you uh, that we, not, not here previously, that we've, we've grown over the years to move off, although we're still extremely active on campuses, but we now realize that we are basically the voice or the mirror of the values of Middle Israel, what I would call Middle Israel, regular people. And, and how do I know this? Because we are now, and this may be unique among Israeli uh, NGOs, we will this year get a majority of our funding from grassroots sources in Israel. Regular wow. Israeli people. Moshe and Sarah Levy will give us 50 shekels 
a month for two years, every month. You must get some significant American Jewish funding also, no? Yeah, we get from private donors, similar to the donors who give to Shalem or Zionist organizations, you know, private individuals. We get no government money, uh, and we don't want government money, uh, because we have no attachments to any political parties, and we don't want to be seen to be beholden to any 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 government entities. Uh, but we're very, very proud of the fact that m more and more of our funding, you know, I, I say to my people, if we're a grassroots organization, we deserve to be grassroots funded, and right. we are getting grassroots funded. So what is that, what is the issue that we are trying to instill in our citizens of late? And that is, the, the issues concerning Israel's assertion of its sovereignty, Israel's assertion of its control. So give you a very high-profile example, the recent flag parade. At Ben-Gurion University, mostly. No, no, at, in Jerusalem. Oh, on, the flag parade on, on, on Yerushalayim. Yerushalayim. Not yes. that you meant to Okay, not about on Nakhbedeh. Those are right. also, that's, a, that's another subset. We have a lot of flag days here. Yes. <laughs> so um, there were voices saying you shouldn't, uh, a year ago, uh, there were a lot of voices. Now, some of this was tied into there being a new government. Don't be provocative. Don't do the flag parade. And in fact, the, the uh, route was changed a little bit. This year, we were intent on doing, we and, and B'nai Akiva, and there's a lot of young people groups, uh, on doing the flag parade Dafka, or I should say precisely because we were getting statements from Hamas like, don't you dare mess with our Jerusalem. We will not abide, this is a quote, thuggery, Zionist and Talmudic thuggery in the streets of Jerusalem. So in other words, what we were seeing was a narrative coming from the Palestinians that's, this is ours, Jerusalem is ours, and you're not allowed to screw with it. So that's to us is astounding. So the real provocation, of course, is coming from them. And the greater sin is to say, okay, okay, you know, we don't want to make a trouble. Now, as you know, the ramifications for the Jerusalem Day Parade were nigh on to zero. There was no rocket fire. There were a handful of hotheads who said death to Arabs, all of whom, by the way, were told by people around them, shut up. You don't know what you're talking about. I was going to ask about. you about that because when you were going to say um, the Hamas is calling it thuggery, which obviously you and I do not think that Jews being in the old city is thuggery. But some of our listeners might say, well, well I actually saw clips of thuggery. So you're yes. saying is that Imtertsu has nothing to do with that stuff? No, of course not. No, look, we, we are very, very supportive of non-Jewish minorities who support the Jewish state. So we have an annual Zionist Human Rights Conference which the left hates the idea that we would use the term human rights conference. Uh, and we honor uh, these Bedouins who are doing whatever in the army, these Druzim who are doing whatever. And, and it's a wonderful, it really is a very powerful uh, day and uh, a, a very powerful event. So absolutely, uh, we are not exclusionists at all. Uh, and But we do worry that Look, we, we, we don't live in the 51st state, okay? And, and your listeners need to know this. Israel is, lives in a very tough neighborhood. And, and this may sound very politically incorrect, but 
the Palestinians have two speeds. Either their foot is on your neck or your foot is on their neck. And they are very, very sensitive to, the, to, to power. They understand power very well. Uh, they respect power. And they, and they understand the absence of power is not accommodation. It's not being reasonable. It's not a dose of nuance. It is weakness. It's weakness. And guess what weakness is meant to be? It's to be exploited. It's to be taken advantage of. So when we're not strong, you know, we're, we're being picked apart. No one wants to, we're not the neighborhood bullies as, you know, or we are, as, as Dylan said. But it's not because we want to strut our stuff. It's because we don't have a choice. So I just want to give people a little bit of context. Some people are listening and nodding their heads, and some people are listening, shaking their heads, and saying, you know, <laughs> this idea they only have two settings, you know, their foot is on our neck or our foot is on their neck. They're going to say, that can't possibly be right. That's very not nuanced. Uh, I'm not taking a side one way or the other, but I would say that it's worth people to go back and read Zev Jabotinsky's classic essay. I think it's from the, the early Iron 1920s. Wall. Iron Wall from the early yes. 1920s, in which Jabotinsky himself said, uh, and I think Jabotinsky's both seem to be one of the great early Zionist thinkers and also a great liberal. And by yes. liberal, I mean not left-wing, but liberal free in terms of human liberal. rights, free yes. market, yes. individuals, so on and so forth. Liberal in terms of what the word once meant. Yes. Um, Jabotinsky was very clear. And he said, the only chance for peace eventually is for them to recognize that there's no dislodging us. So the first yes. thing we have to do in order to get peace is an iron wall. And if you yes. think, he said, by accommodating them, and yeah, you're going to move things forward... By the way, and he is really, in a certain sense, the architect of today's Likud, sort of. Yes. Because uh, I would argue that today's Likud is not the original Likud, but that's a whole yeah. other conversation. But he was certainly Menachem Begin's mm -hmm. most important influential thinker, and Begin founded right. the Likud, and then Netanyahu followed indirectly Begin and so forth. So just for people that are listening to this and saying, wow, this attitude to power, do I buy that, do I not buy that? There's different views, Correct. but I think people should know that this is an, a long-standing, I mean, if you think about it, his essay came out, I think, in 23, 24, I may be off by a year or two, it's 100 years ago. Yes. There was, for 100 years, there's been a major voice in Zionism talking but, about yes. the need for power in a region right. where power... By the way, Ben-Gurion also said this. Ben-Gurion right. said, maybe in 200 years we will have peace with the Arabs. That's a quote. Maybe in 200 years. He also said it, by the way, when he was talking about why he wasn't ready to pass a constitution. Yeah. He said, right now, we are basically busy defending ourselves against Arab onslaught. He wrote this in 48, 49, 50. He said, but the truth of the matter is we're always going to be yeah. in the position of defending ourselves against Arab onslaught. So people think that the Labour Party of old was, you know, shalom you know, go around and seek peace. Yeah, on one level, yes, but there was also great realism yes. about the region. Now, we're, 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 you know, I could talk to you for hours about this, uh, but I, I want to mention two other things, and then I want to come back quickly to this grassroots idea before mm -hmm. we wrap up. So one of the things is I wanted to ask you about, you said something about when I asked you what percentage of their foreign funding, what percentage of their funding comes from right. European governments or whatever. So you said if you leave out George Soros and leave out the new Israel Fund. And I just come back to that on purpose because I know that Im Tirtzu sees the new Israel Fund in a particularly problematic light. And I just want to understand from your perspective, right. from our listeners, so that our listeners can just understand, right. what does Im Tirtzu see as problematic about the NIF? Okay, well... What was problematic is the same organizations that we've been talking about. They are major funders to breaking the silence. To, I, I have no problem with uh, 
the new Israel Fund giving money to Hadassah Hospital. And, and I suspect a fair amount of their, uh, their donations are parv in that sense. But I do have a problem with them underwriting these same kinds of organizations. And that's where we have taken them to town. Do we have any sense, because I don't know anything about it, so I'm, I'm yes. just pleading ignorance here. But do we have any sense what percentage of New Israel Fund contributions in Israel go to the organizations that are not part of? I don't of? think it's insignificant. I wouldn't say it's a majority, but I, I don't think it's insignificant money. And, and But it's not money going on the other side of the scale, to the right of center organizations. No. Zero. No, no, zero. Okay. No, no. And so that's, and what has Israel has, has the in, no, no, you, you know, the other thing about the new Israel fund, and they don't make much bones about this, is they're not interested in keeping Israel as a Jewish state, as opposed to a state of its citizens. So is that a stated position of the new Israel fund? That, that was a stated position of one of the presidents of the new Israel fund. That Israel should be a democracy uh, without she, regard to she, Jewishness. She once said in some public forum, if Israel stopped being a Jewish state, I wouldn't be upset. Okay, so you know that 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 puts us on opposite sides of the of the yeah. So the I mean, field. you know, so it it's is that still do you think their um their stated position? I don't know. Actually, I, I don't I I don't really know. It wouldn't surprise me if it is. But when you hear something like that, you know, if that's the context, uh, that's fairly telling. And and you know, you ask what we're about. We're not political, you know, we're agnostic about uh, two states, three states, 12 states, uh, or multi- No position on two-state solution, for or against? No, no, we don't have a position. We have a position that we do not want to divide Jerusalem. Okay. Okay. And we have a position that Israel must remain a Jewish and democratic state. That's a widespread Israeli yes, consensus. Yes, and that's very consensus. Right. I want to come back to the grassroots notion in a minute. No consensus, no, no position on the annexation. No. Okay. Uh, position on the rabbinate and its power in no, Israel? No. Okay. So there, what, it, what, is, what, what Im Tirtzu, I keep saying Israel, what Im Tirtzu does have a position on is Jerusalem should remain the undivided capital of the state yes. of Israel. Israel should remain a Jewish state. Yes. The legitimacy of Zionism, which you right. mentioned in our conversation, anything else that, he, that I could say were like, and, uh, and, and that And that anti-Zionism needs to be called out. The legitimacy of Israel from within needs to be called out. You know, ironically, when I go to the States and people want to talk about BDS in the States, I said, you know, the head of the snake for BDS is Israel. Because Israel is sending, if your academic career is flagging in Israel, leave the country, go to the United States, start bashing Israel, and you'll be on panels You'll, you'll, you know. Right, just in fairness, I just want to point out there are a lot of Israeli academics who leave Israel because there's just not enough jobs here. Yes. Not every Israeli but, academic no, who leaves Israel is looking to go do not. that, just but, to be fair. But many of the most prominent anti Israeli academics in America are Israelis. That. And, and, and it's a great career move if you're so inclined. And again, it's the same point about B'Tselem and breaking the silence. It's the legitimacy, it's the credibility of, well, he's in. He's one of them. So he must, A, know what he's talking about, and B, why would he be saying this about his own people if it weren't true? So let's come back to grassroots. You yes. said that Im Tirtzu is the largest grassroots organization in Israel. And the reason I wanted to come back to it is because, uh, you know, half an hour or so ago when we started our conversation, you were talking about the kinds of things that could make a person here, you don't want to hang themselves. You know, kids are going to universities and the professors are haranguing them. People are going into right. restaurants and restaurants won't serve them in, a, in an IDF uniform. 
And one could say to oneself, listening to you, oh my God, what's happening in this country? But the good news is, of course, is that you said, you said that you're the largest grassroots organization. So in a lot of ways, I think it's fair to say, tell me if I'm wrong, that the, the groundswell of Israeli population, left, right, religious, secular, are not where these professors are and are not where these restaurants are. Oh, absolutely. Are. Listen, I, I, I am so confident about the future of this country. And, and I say this as an old guy mentoring the young people who really make Im Tirtzu work because they have a sense of responsibility, they have a sense of commitment, they have a sense of passion uh, and love of this country that you cannot make up. You know, you're either that way or you're not. And so uh, the other thing is, uh, and you've talked about this too, we have... Um, a dysfunctional government, but we have a very strong polity. We have a very strong citizenry. And maybe it's because more than half of our citizens have seen a movie that they do not want to see the sequel to, meaning they're Jews from Arab countries who lived under Arab control, or they're Russians from the Soviet Union who lived under communism, and they've been inoculated against a lot of, you know, stuff that they, they, they have a, an easy time saying, oh, yeah, 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 don't, don't even go there, all right? Right, just to explain again, I find myself sort of, you're, you're speaking with such knowledge that I sometimes find myself just filling in the gaps for people, but it, people point to the fact that the Russian Aliyah, by and large, is a fairly right-wing voting Aliyah, not hard right, but right yeah. of center, and Israeli, Israelis who came from Arab countries, the Mizrahim, who came from the right. Levant, tend also to vote center and right of center, uh, and people who are scratching their heads about that might not understand, well, why would that be? But as you pointed out, the reason is, is they would say, oh, you know, you American Jews, you know, you bring your, not necessarily you or not necessarily me, but writ large, you know, you Eastern, you, you, yes. you European, North American Jews, you have this, this whole, you know, I don't know, embrace the world view. Uh, we've actually lived under those kinds of governments. We actually, unlike you, who've been in democracy for 200 and something yes, years, right. we have a sense of what those right. things are like yeah. and we're very nervous about it and so on and right. so forth. Um, great. Anything else you want to leave us with about the organization? Well, I think uh, what I would say is that we are, uh, we're growing. Uh, we are, uh, we, we often survey our citizens about positions that we take and we, uh, you know, the idea that we're mirroring the, the values of Middle Israel is not born out of my wishful thinking. It's born out of responses that we're getting from people. We do have a website. I would invite your visitors to, uh, your listeners to uh, visit us on the web. Yeah, we'll put the link on the page. So if okay, you're listening wonderful. to this, yes, there's the link right. on the page where you got the Terrific. podcast. And, and, and there's the but, Facebook page. But the most important thing, and we talked about this a minute ago, is I'm very optimistic for the future of this country. I really think, you know, to paraphrase Churchill, Israel is the worst country there is except for all the others, <laughs> right? <laughs> and, and, and we do a lot of things really well. We, we are highly adept at screwing up many things, but the really important stuff, I think we get on a, on a very deep level. Uh, it is a, it's a great place to live. You it know, is. you who base yourself mostly in Rosh Pina, and I base myself mostly in Jerusalem, uh, as you put it before, sort of the, the suburbs or the countryside on one hand and the yeah. cities 
Uh, it's filled with lots of different kinds of things. It's, it's a mosaic of all sorts of things. And our conversations with all of these guests are also a mosaic. We've actually had on here actually one of the early leaders of Breaking the Silence. Mm -hmm. So we get people to listen to all different views from Israeli society. You've given us a lot to think about, taught us about an organization that many people are probably familiar with, but others might not have been. Right. Um, so for your having helped us learn more, I really appreciate I'm, your time. I'm very appreciative of the time, of the opportunity to be in front of people to give them a, more background on us. Thanks for doing it. All right, my pleasure. You've been listening to Israel from the Inside. Go to danielgordas.substack.com where you can hear more of these episodes. If you have ideas for topics you'd like us to explore, we'd love to hear from you. Until next time, I'm Daniel Gordas.